Uh, the first thing I would say is when the founding fathers of this country uh, declared independence and then when they created the Constitution the following decade, uh, the model around the world was basically that God would endow individual kings with power to govern and then the king would use that power and dispense that around the kingdom as, as he saw fit. So it didn't mean that nobody had freedom, it just meant your freedom was really a courtesy of the monarch. So there were some people that were privileged, most people were not, and that was just kind of the way it was. Well, when they founded our country, they said, no, uh, there's no divine right of kings. Uh, we're endowed by our creator as individuals uh, with certain inalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so the power is God endowed to the, the great body of the people. The purpose of government is to protect the rights that we already possess. And so when you see things like the First Amendment, it says Congress shall make no law abridging, uh, establishing religion, abridging the free exercise thereof, press, assembly, um, and the like. Just understand, you have the right to express yourself, you have the right to practice your faith, not because the First Amendment is giving you that right. Those are rights that you already have by the grace of God. The First Amendment is there to provide protections for that right uh, against government intrusion. And so it's very important to understand where the source of your rights come in the American system, why the Founding Fathers believe that, and why our government is structured the way it is. Now, they, um, they looked around, and when they were creating the Constitution, they had studied every republic in the history of mankind because they wanted to draw lessons for what had been done before and they noticed that if you looked at all of those different experiments where you had uh, republics they all had one thing in common and the one thing in common was this every one of them had failed and so they view it really it fell to the united states to determine whether people really could govern themselves uh, could you have a government based on the consent of the governed where people's God-given rights were protected, people had a voice um, in government, or was that just something that wasn't in the cards and we were all going to live under various forms of despotism? And, and that was really the question that they had to answer uh, when they were creating the Constitution. And so in order to do that, I think that they looked at it, and I think this is true, you know, your rights can be abridged by an individual dictator. You know, you look like a Kim Jong-un um, or some of these people that uh, rule with an iron fish. You look at the regime in Cuba, for example. Uh, they can just oppress you. They throw you in the gulag. That's one person, one tyrant. That's true. And they were concerned about that. I mean, they had just revolted against the king of England, so that was something that was important. But they also understood that your rights could be eroded uh, by the tyranny of the majority. That just because a majority believes something, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean uh, that that's in the best interest of you. And so what they wanted to do was, yes, it had to rest on the consent of the governed. Uh, yes, public uh, sentiment ultimately would prevail. Uh, but what they didn't want is to kind of have mob rule, where you would have no constitutional protections, no checks and balances, and whatever you had public opinion on one instant, 
That's what would be the policy, and if that violated your rights, if you happen to be in the minority, then uh, that would, and it could be a minority on a variety of different things. It could be on income, wealth, it could be on religion, ethnicity, race, anything. So that's what they were concerned about. So they created a system that divided the powers amongst three branches of government. So you had the legislature, which was the Congress, and the Florida's constitution is similar. You had uh, the executive, here we have the governor, me, and then it, you have the president federally, and then a judiciary. And so we have a Supreme Court here in our state, you have a Supreme Court of the United States. And so each one of those branches had different functions, but more importantly than just that, which had kind of been accepted wisdom for people that believed in constitutional government at the time, they understood that just because you divide the powers, each branch is going to try to get as much power for itself. That's human nature. That's what they're going to try to do. So in order to make sure you have an equilibrium where there's not one power in government that's dominating all the rest, uh, you need to have checks and balances. And so you have the Congress. There's two houses of Congress. You have the House of Representatives, which is direct election uh, from, from the individuals, and then the Senate which is two senators from every state, regardless of how big it is. So Florida, we're the third biggest state. We have the same number of senators, too, as some of the smallest states, like Rhode Island and Wyoming and some of those. And they wanted that to be able to provide uh, some internal checks within the legislative branch. Then you go to the executive, and the executive can veto legislation that the Congress were to pass. And so that's a check on legislative excesses. But the Congress had the power of the purse. So if you have a president or an executive going off the rails, uh, the Congress can simply remove funding from those operations and then the executive would not be able to function in that regard anymore. Then you had the courts, which they thought would play a more minor role, important but minor, but they didn't think the courts, they thought it would be the weakest of the three branches. In reality, I mean, you look over the last 50, 60, 70 years, the courts, federal courts, have taken a lot of power. Um, they've redefined, you know, basic uh, things in society. Um, they've done things where they've really been legislating, and there's not really much of a check on that. Uh, and so the founders, I don't think they necessarily saw it going in that direction, but that's a battle that we fight. You know, what's the proper role of the judiciary? And my view is the judiciary applies the law. It applies the Constitution. If you guys are legislators and you pass something that the uh, judges don't like, uh, they have no authority to strike it down unless it offends the Constitution. Uh, they have to apply it reasonably. They can't redefine terms that the legislature put in. But that system, the design of it, is to protect individual freedom because if no one branch can get uh, a huge amount of power, uh, then it kind of created an equilibrium. So the legislature would want to go, executive can bat them back, the courts could be a check, and that's how the system did. They actually didn't do a Bill of Rights when they first did the Constitution. Uh, the Bill of Rights were passed in 1791 after you had uh, the, the, the government launched. And the reason they didn't do the Bill of Rights initially is say, hey, this is a, a limited government anyways. It only has certain powers, so you're going to list the rights, but that assumes that Congress could infringe any of these things, which we have a given authority to do. 
a lot of the anti-federalists weren't satisfied with that, so they wanted the Bill of Rights. So that's where you got, you know, First Amendment, Second Amendment, all the way down there. Then in the Civil War, you got the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment. So the 13th Amendment abolished slavery, which many of the founders wanted to get rid of at the time, but you had some that wanted it because of, you know, where they were from. And so Lincoln always said, look, I just read the Declaration of Independence. It says all people, all men are created equal. That's what we need to have in, in our society. And so that was obviously with the Civil War led to uh, the 13th Amendment. Then the 14th Amendment was designed to make sure that uh, basic rights were protected against state intrusion. So there is a concern that, yeah, um, you could just have state legislatures run roughshod over the rights of individuals, and so there are certain protections there of due process and equal protection that they thought was important. And then the 15th Amendment was uh, to protect vote, uh, a vote. And then you said then you had other amendments as we went on, but I think they understood that uh, you needed to provide a mechanism to be able to amend the Constitution but they didn't want it to be easy where it would just happen every other year. They wanted it to be something that was really significant. So in the history of our country, there's only been one amendment uh, that was enacted and then that was later revoked. Do you guys know which one that was? Which one? AC? Yeah, that was not even a question. Yeah. So they did the prohibition and there was a lot of concern at the time about the role that, that, that alcohol was playing in society. Uh, a lot of the Christian groups were, were very much supportive uh, of doing that. So they did it. And the problem is, is that, you know, it developed a huge black market for this, uh, speakeasies, all this other thing. So it ended up being, uh, being revoked. And, and that's just there. Now, when I look at how to structure a government, I think the founders' basic insights uh, are, are the best insights that anyone's made yet. Uh, the one thing uh, that I think that I wish they would have done, and they considered this, um, but I wish they would have put term limits for members of Congress. And the reason why, yeah. The reason why, so at the time they were thinking about it and they called it rotation in office. And they were thinking, they're like, you know, I don't even know if people would want to serve. I mean, like, just think about it. They didn't have modern transportation. So you're going to get on a horse from South Carolina. And at the time, it was Philadelphia, then New York, and then eventually it was Washington, D.C. Uh, but are you going to want to get on a horse and go back and forth to there? I mean, like, some would do it, but do you really want to do that for 30, 40 years? Uh, so I don't think that they really conceived of kind of this idea of somebody being in Congress for decades and decades. But what's happened, particularly in the last 50, 60 years, is you know people get in there, and their number one goal isn't to do great things for the district or the country. You know, I think some of them want to do those things, but their number one prerogative is to get reelected. And so uh, that takes precedent over anything. So you end up with a situation where you've got a lot of these people in very high levels of the Congress who are in their 70s and 80s. And look, not that there's anything wrong with that, but they've been in Congress for 30 or 40 years. And I think they're very out of touch with what's going on in this country. That's one of the reasons why Congress is not well regarded as an institution. Uh, but they, the incentives are not to do the big things that really matter. Whereas I think if you had term limits, it's like, okay, you work hard to get elected, 
say you get three two-year terms in the house. Okay, well, what are you going to have to show for it? You know, people are going to have an incentive to really want to get some stuff done. We have term limits here in the legislature in Florida. It's a much better system than what they have in Washington. So we have, you have four uh, two-year terms in the house and two four-year terms in the Senate, and that's all you can do. So someone gets elected in the, in the House, they immediately work to see who's going to be the speaker for that class. So every two years there's a new speaker, every two years there's a new Senate leader. What I think that in incentivizes is it incentivizes the leaders of the legislature to say, okay, I've got a two-year window. Uh, I want to be able to leave a legacy. I want to be able uh, to, to advance my key priorities. And whether that politically is good or not is not their number one concern because they're not going to be in that position uh, after two years. And so if you look at how productive we've been in Florida, uh, not just since I've been governor. I mean, in, we've had other uh, productive times, but certainly since I've been governor, we've been more productive, I think, than any time in the history of the state and more productive than any, any other state around the country. But part of the reason... Part of the reason we're able to do that, I think, is because, you know, you got, you got the leaders come in, they know the end, the end of the ramp, no question about that, so let's get things done. And we've been able to get a lot done. And my view is when you deal with the legislature is, you know, I want them to be successful, particularly the leadership on their priorities. It's got to be within reason. I mean, I'm not going to go out against some of my stated positions, and we've got to make sure we're continuing to go in the right direction. Um, you know, there are certain things that are uh, important to them. You know, I want to be supportive, and, and obviously we want them to support our agenda, but it's so much better to be able to do that. The other thing that you would, I think, in, in Washington that we have in Florida is we have a requirement to balance the budget every year. And if we have situations where we have a shortfall, then the legislature has to come in and they have to make adjustments about what they're doing. In Washington, the path of least resistance is just to charge it on the credit card. And that's what they do. I mean, just the last, what, two years? We've gone from 21 trillion to 30 trillion in debt. Uh, we literally, it took, we had the first 200 years of our country, I think we had four or five trillion in debt, and then now we're doing massive, un, unfathomable amounts, and the reason is, is there's just no incentive to ever make a choice. If, if you're a member of Congress, politically, the easiest thing for you to do is to charge it on the credit card. If you raise people's taxes, and I'm not advocating that, but they don't like that, and so some of them are going to want to vote you out. If you reduce spending, well, the spending has constituencies. I mean, maybe there's a military program. Maybe there's this. Maybe there's that. Some people may not like that. So it requires them to make difficult choices. But, you know, when COVID hit Florida and uh, hit, hit, hit the country in 2020, we were we actually were right in the middle of the legislative session. It started January 2020. Remember back then, Fauci was saying, you know, this is not a big deal. The media was saying, worry more about the flu. So that's what's happening in like February of 2020 as we get into March. So they're working on the budget. They're doing this. And then right as the budget became due is when you started to see uh, a lot of the craziness where professional sports leagues were stopping, theme parks, all this. Uh, the first thing I would say is when the founding fathers of this country uh, declared independence, and then when they created the Constitution the following decade, uh, the model around the world was basically 
that God would endow individual kings with power to govern, and then the king would use that power and dispense that around the kingdom.